So yes, I'm sitting in a chair. We talked about how to do these services, and it's, it's such a different thing because the, the, the room is empty, and it just seemed a little unnatural to stand up there and keep preaching on like it was just a normal Sunday because it isn't a normal Sunday because we've all been told to stay at home, and so you are at home, and we're not with our church family today, and so it just seemed a little more natural to sit in a chair and, and maybe have a conversation in a way that we don't get to uh, at other times. So just recognizing that things are different. What isn't different, however, despite, the, you probably heard this on the news, uh, the statement was made this week by a journalist that uh, this year for the first time ever we're not having uh, Easter in this country. That is so not true. Well, we maybe aren't going to have the gatherings with the Easter bunnies and the egg hunts and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Resurrection Sunday has nothing to do with that. This is the beginning of Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. And here's the deal. We will celebrate as Christians Resurrection Sunday every single year, no matter what is going on out there. And so today, we gather online, which is a little bit different, but we gather as a church family. And if you're watching us and have another church family that, that you call your own, thank you for tuning in to see who we are. But it's Palm Sunday. Nothing is going to change that. It's usually the day, like I said earlier, that this room is full of people with palm fronds and, and the kids love it because they get to wave them in the air and we've got a parade. And, and the reason that we do that is that that's what happened 2,000 years ago. It's the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem and we're going to read the passage in a moment. Uh, but we do a worship song and it's a celebration and, and we've got people walking through the, the aisles and the idea was reenacting what happened 2,000 years ago so that we kind of have a better understanding of it. Palms, especially in Minnesota, aren't a part of our normal life. But today's the day that we acknowledge Jesus, the King of the Jews, as He came into Jerusalem and began this, this roller coaster of a week that we call Holy Week. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to uh, open them up. We're going to go to Matthew. There's, this is recorded in more than just one gospel. But I'm going to encourage you to go to the gospel of Matthew, the 21st chapter. I'm just going to read about ten verses here. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. So Jesus is gathering with His disciples on the east side of Jerusalem. They're coming up the hill into town. He said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before them and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd says, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. That's where we get the idea of Palm Sunday because there was this parade of palms. There was a celebration that Jesus, the local boy, was coming home and it was His day to be acknowledged as the King of the Jews. It's interesting that the route that He took coming from Bethany was over this hill that leads down into a valley and that He would have walked into Jerusalem. And on, a, on that road, He would have passed the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives. Just a few days later, as we read the rest of the events of this week, he did the very same thing for a very different purpose 
and it had a very different feel for him. So today marks the beginning of what we now call Holy Week. It includes Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and then Resurrection Sunday, what our culture has called Easter, but it really celebrates the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. When you read through the, the gospel accounts of the days that are ahead of us, and I would encourage you to do that this week, uh, go to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, find those passages that talk about Holy Week and read them. And what you will see is that these days for us read like a roller coaster of emotions. But what I would encourage you to do is imagine for a moment, and, and we hardly can, but imagine for a moment what it felt like for Jesus. Today begins with the celebration of Him as the King of the Jews. Friday ends very differently. See, the, the week for Jesus goes from parade to the people's denial to the Last Supper with His disciples. It's where we get our celebration of Holy Communion that we're going to share in today. To later that night, His betrayal by one of His own disciples to His arrest to his trials, to his flogging, which was just brutal. We'll talk about that at our Good Friday service this week. To his crucifixion, and then finally on Sunday morning, his resurrection. This is a big week. So what I want to challenge you to do is focus on what this week was like 2,000 years ago for Jesus. Focus on what this week might mean for you outside of all of what's on the news. Because... There is this chaos and craziness and noise and fear. There are the voices that surround us today. But all they're going to do is serve to diminish the true meaning of today and the days ahead as they compete for your thoughts. I challenge you to be careful about the voices that you listen to and the thoughts that you put in your head. Keep them focused on Jesus, not just on this virus that you and I can stay out of the way of. That's why they tell us to stay at home. If you're not around people that have it, you can't catch it. We can't control the virus. We can control our response to it, but we can control the voices we listen to and the things that we read. The church may not have an answer to the coronavirus, but Jesus is the answer to sin and death. And really, that's what this week is all about. So Jesus, the King of the Jews, rides into Jerusalem. It says on a colt, on the foal of a donkey, to be welcomed as the long-awaited king of the Jews. It's interesting, when you read this text carefully, typically everybody preaches that Jesus rode in on a donkey. The, the Bible doesn't say that. It says that He rode in on the young animal that was still at its mother's side. He rode in on the colt, but He brought both of them with, which means He rode this young, rode this young donkey, which almost certainly had never carried anyone before Jesus. And yet this animal still needed to be led by its mother. We call it Palm Sunday because the, the biblical text in the Gospel of Matthew says that as Jesus entered Jerusalem, He still was outside of town as this all began. They, they laid their cloaks on the animals for Him to sit on, but they also laid their cloaks along the road because they were big stones and they cut branches from the trees, most of them which were palm, to lay on the ground as a sign of respect and honor. Their shout was, Hosanna! Well, we say that in church and we have it in our songs and hymns, but it doesn't really mean anything on its own. What it is, is a plea. The crowd is begging Him. What Hosanna means in their language is save us. If you're the King of the Jews, be the King that saves us. And what were they worried about being saved from? They were worried about being saved from the Romans. See, they were exact, that's exactly what they were hoping for, is that Jesus would save them. They'd waited hundreds of years for their King, for their Messiah, for their Savior. And now, here He was. God had finally remembered them. 
Just like the Old Testament prophet Zechariah had said, here he was down to the last detail, including him riding in on that colt, the young animal of the donkey. There could be no mistaking that this man, this Jesus, is the one. But the question that very quickly began to circulate in the minds of the gathered crowd was, is Jesus really the king that they wanted? If you fast forward to today, and we're going to look more at what happened this day, but I want to ask you this question. Is Jesus the King and Savior that you want? It is the Jesus that we are shown in Scripture, not the one that we make up, not the one that our tradition tells us about. I'm talking about the Jesus of the Bible. Is Jesus, the Son of God, the King and Savior that you want? You see, there's another twist on this thing that we don't hear about very often that has to do with the arrival of Jesus because we don't think the way first century Jews did. See, there was an understanding that when the Messiah came, it was going to be one of two ways, either in the clouds or on a colt or on a donkey. On the clouds was going to be that it was going to be a wonderful transformation. He was going to be a king and surely he would then make his entrance on a mighty war stallion. However, the rabbis also taught the Jewish people that if they were deemed to be unworthy, if the Jewish people were deemed to be unworthy, then the Messiah would come riding on a donkey. Jesus hadn't even made it to the gates of the city before his message was clear. They were not worthy any more than you and I are. And yet he was coming for them anyway, just like he came and died for us. So I've got a question for you, and, and maybe as we celebrate Palm Sunday, this is really the biggest question I can ask you. In your mind, what are the requirements for a king? We call Jesus the King of the Jews, our Savior, but in your mind, what, what does a king need to be? We don't have a king in the United States, but we're certainly familiar with the concept, a king, and, and I don't mean to excuse, exclude the lady's counterpart to a king, which of course is a queen. We've got a great example in the Queen of England who has occupied her throne in her country very much without the need of a king for years. But Jesus was introduced as the king of the Jews. When you hear the word king, what do you think of? What does it bring to your mind? What is it that you imagine? And so if you go back 2,000 years ago and you were that crowd in Jerusalem on that day when Jesus, the King of the Jews, rode into town, would He fit your picture in your mind of what a king should be? Well, maybe the next example we've got to look at is Prince Charles of England. Is he your example of a kingly figure? Is he what you would go, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of what I think of when I think of a king. Maybe you're a person who's done some reading and you think to the works of William Shakespeare. He talked about kings. He talked about a lot of them. Maybe they are your mind of what a king should be. Maybe you've got other ideas, but kings are supposed to be noble, aren't they? I mean, aren't kings supposed to be representatives of the country? Aren't they supposed to be refined and, and preferably, I think we would all agree, tall, dark, and handsome with bravery to go along with the position and title? There would be money involved and power and palaces. They're most often known as fighting men who have won their reputation and have earned the right to be called king by their feats on the battlefield. The Jews knew what they wanted too. The Jews had talked about it for years and what they agreed on was that they wanted another fearsome and mighty warrior king like the King David of old. They wanted force and might. 
They were looking for a king in the image that they had created in their mind. They were looking for a king that they wanted to see. They were looking for a king to save them from what they thought was the biggest problem they faced. And that was the Roman army and the Roman government. They limited their freedom, they taxed their earnings, and they oppressed them at every turn. They wanted a king who was great and powerful, who like King David had done, would once again make them great and powerful. See, they believed that their salvation would be in a worldly power and in the wealth that would go with it. And I wonder if that isn't what we think about when we think about what we expect from Jesus. That He's going to change our lives and make everything better. That whatever financial struggles we have go away and somehow this, this horrible prosperity gospel that's been preached in America, we want to believe, well, maybe there's some truth to that. And if I believe in Jesus, He's going to make me rich. What is it that you think of as a king and what is it that you're looking for in Jesus? See, what they believed was that their salvation would be in a worldly power and the wealth that He would bring and they wanted a king that rode in on a mighty war stallion commanding an army of soldiers. They wanted a king who would scare Rome away. So when Jesus shows up and He comes riding in on the foal of a donkey... They praised Him for what they wanted Him to be. But as the events of the day of days of Holy Week unfolded, we know that they very quickly abandoned Jesus when they decided that He didn't fit the bill for the kind of king they wanted at all. And so what the people did is they denied Jesus because they weren't interested in being saved by His kind of king. A king who spoke of peace of the kingdom of God and of saving us from our sins, from ourselves. See, they weren't concerned about their sins. They were concerned about what they saw as the sin of the Roman government. And I wonder how often as Christians we don't bother taking any time to consider our own sinfulness. We don't look at our need for repentance because we're so busy saying, well, if, if Jesus is talking about sin and the preacher's talking about sin, I know people who are worse sinners than me. Does that king that you think of love everyone or just you? See, here's the thing. What we're learning right now in a very new and challenging way is that life isn't always what we want. Sometimes what we need isn't what we want either. And so what is it that you're looking to Jesus to be? What are you looking for Him to do for you? In your mind, what is it that you need from Him? Maybe you've decided you don't need anything. You're tuned in wondering what we're about, but you don't believe and you find it out, you've found out you're very comfortable with that. Maybe you decide that you do need Jesus, but you're still waiting for Him to turn your life around and make it better because that's what you think He should do. When you think of a king, when you think of a savior, when you think of Jesus, what is it that you expect? See, America right now, we're in the midst of the biggest wake-up call in a couple of generations. And you know, yet, you know what I still see in here? <laughs> I hear about people who ignore very simple warnings to stay at home and stay away from other people. It, it isn't fun. But folks, if we don't do that, this thing is never going to end. I see and I hear people all the time, and it isn't just the young people. It's easy to blame them. It isn't just people from other countries. It's us. It's whoever you are. It's maybe you and people just like you. We ignore the warnings to stay at home and stay away from other people. And you know why we do that? Because we think that we're immune to tragedy. 
We think that it's going to affect somebody else, but it'll never affect me, so I'm just going to keep on doing my thing. So many people continue to carry on with their life, refusing to change anything in light of this COVID-19 wake-up call. And people refuse to stay home and social distance because eh, we don't want to. Just like so many of us refuse to repent and accept Jesus. I see the similarities as being absolutely striking and profound. See, that's the way the Jews were. They didn't want Jesus of Nazareth as their king because Jesus preached a message that they didn't want to listen to. He preached about people that they didn't think they were. They didn't want to be the ones to change. They wanted the world around them to be changed. They wanted a king that would change the world and they could benefit from it. So what about you? What are you looking for? Are you looking to be changed, to be transformed by your Savior? What are you looking for from Jesus? Have you come to realize and and know that what you need is a Savior who will redeem you from your life of sin? Or are you content to be like the Jewish people were, looking more for a knight in shining armor to make you feel better and ease the discomfort of your life without really making you any different at all? Are you looking for a knight in shining armor to make your life better and to take away your suffering without you having to be any different or change at your core? So that was the case on this first Palm Sunday. They wanted a king who would relieve them of their discomfort. They wanted a king who would make them feel better about who they were and their place in the world. Not offer them salvation from their sins. They didn't see themselves as the sinners. They saw Rome as the one who had the problem. See, Palm Sunday is about celebrating this King, the Savior, the Messiah, the One who came to bring a kingdom, not of war and might and earthly power, but a kingdom of love, of peace, of grace, of mercy, and of forgiveness. A kingdom that acknowledged human sin and our need for repentance. See, today, what can we do? We can, make the mis- we can make the statement that we're not like those people on that pers- first Palm Sunday who denied Jesus as King and abandoned Him excuse me, nearly as soon as the parade had begun. We can begin to show the world and to live as people who are not like those folks 2,000 years ago. We can stand up and we can say we will not deny Jesus. Not only are we here to cheer for Him, that's easy. When you're in church and everybody else is doing it, you know what? Even the most shy of us will wave a palm frond with a little bit of enthusiasm. Because it's easy. Everybody's doing it. But what about out there in the real world? What about talking to your friends and your neighbors and the people you work with and the folks that you're on the phone and text and email with? Will you cheer for Him to them? Will you live a life that loves Him and follows Him and proclaims Him to the world? See, 2,000 years ago, this week was supposed to be all about King Jesus. It was meant to be a celebration of Him taking His place on His earthly throne and proclaiming His heavenly kingdom. But you know what happened? As quickly as it began, it changed and it ended up becoming all about us, about our stubbornness, about we want what we wanted and what we don't want. About our sin and our lack of being willing to acknowledge it. About our challenging the sovereign authority of God and the Son of God. See, I know that's true because 
the week ahead 2,000 years ago ended not in a celebration on Friday, but in Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday. See, we've got to remember that Jesus was not hung on a cross to die only five days after the Palm Sunday parade because He did anything wrong. He didn't. He lived a life that was sinless. But He was nailed to the cross because we do wrong, because we sin. And He was sent as God's only Son to pay the price, His life, for our sin so that we would not have to die in our sin. It might seem like a heavy message for a day that starts with what seems like such a joyous celebration, but that's really what the first Palm Sunday was like. The mood switched that quickly. See, Palm Sunday is meant to be about welcoming Jesus, our King, to His throne. Let's not forget that. He is the King who came to bring us what we need, not a politician who promises to give us everything that we want. And in this country, we have gotten that so confused. We think we deserve whatever it is that we want. And if we can just find a politician who will promise it to us to it, or promise it to us, we'll put them in office. And yet we've got a king who actually gave his life for what we need. And that's the forgiveness of our sins. So what we really want, what we really need is Jesus who will forgive our sins. What we really want, though, is a Savior who will forgive our sins without ever calling Him sin or asking us to change our behavior. We want a Jesus who will love us and tell us that everything we're doing is okay. In America, we've shown, and this is in the Christian church more than anywhere else, we want blessing without obedience, without repentance or change. But see, that's not how Jesus came to earth. That wasn't the understanding. Jesus came that we might be transformed. And I think in America, so often what we want is Jesus to be more like us and less like God. But that's not Jesus, the Son of God, that is shown to us in Scripture. See, God isn't who you think He is or what you want Him to be. God is who He says He is. And when they announced Jesus that day as the King of the Jews, the one who God sent to save them, their Messiah, they were right for a moment. And then they turned their back on Him. But what about you? What will you do? What will you believe? How will you live? Who do you worship? The Jesus you want? Or the Jesus that you need? Do you worship Jesus, the Son of God, who God sent to die for our sins? Or do you worship the Jesus who you see almost like a genie in the bottle and if you pray right, He'll give you whatever you want? What does your King look like? Who is He to you? And then my next question and the thing that we've got to deal with is how are we changed because of Him? Because if all that we're looking for, do, for Jesus to do is to change the world around us, we don't need Him. Jesus changes us one at a time from the inside out. Who is Jesus to you on this Palm Sunday? Let's pray. God, thank You for the day that we had 2,000 years ago here on earth to celebrate where for that moment we got things right that Jesus truly is Your Son, the King of the Jews, the One who was sent by You to save us from our sins. God, we're able to look back 2,000 years now and realize they really got it wrong. But I wonder how different we are 2,000 years later. God, we want to get it right. We want to understand You for who You are, Jesus for who He is, and us for who and what we are. And we know that we're lost and dead in our sin without Him. Thank You, God, that You sent Your Son, Jesus, 
Thank you for that first Palm Sunday parade that began a week that that ended that ended in a way that we, we can't imagine, but that we're so grateful for. Thank you that Jesus was obedient to your call in His life. God, as we move forward in this week, as we celebrate Holy Communion here in a moment, as we continue to reach out and care for and love the people who are in our circles, God, let us do it in a way that proclaims the name, the love, the life, the death and the resurrection of Your Son, our King and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Uh, this Friday, we're going to have our, our first ever Good Friday worship service. We've always done dramas, and uh, for obvious reasons, we can't do that. So we're going to do a Good Friday worship service. And if you want to get into your Bible and read ahead, what I'm going to do, so I'm warning you ahead of time, I'm going to be very honest and give you a, a step-by-step account of what happened after Holy Communion, the Last Supper Jesus had with His disciples, all the way through Jesus' death, that, that day, that night, Thursday night, Friday morning, and all day on Friday. We don't talk about how brutal that was for Jesus very often, but I think that we need to, and so we're going to take this opportunity and give you a much more clear picture of what really happened. And the reason that that's important is because then we're going to gather Sunday morning at 10.30, and we don't celebrate Easter around here. I'm, I don't know what Easter is. That's eggs and, and bunnies and things, and I, I get a lot of heat for that. What we celebrate here is Resurrection Sunday because it's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so Sunday at 10.30, we're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection.